0: He's the founder and president of Alego, a mobile-based sales learning platform. You know, there's a general consensus that billions of dollars invested every year by companies in sales training is not necessarily money well spent. And the you know, curriculum are boring, reps are disengaged, and the retention of information, the most important key you know, key performance indicator of the effectiveness of training, the retention of information beyond thirty days is virtually non-existent. So it makes you wonder why any company pays for the traditional multi-day sales training event. And recently, though, there have been alternatives rising to attempt to make sales training more relevant, compelling, and accessible. And my guest today, Mark Magnaka, is going to help us sort it all out. Mark, how are you? Very well, thank you, Andy. Glad to be here. So, take a second, introduce yourself.
1: Sure, I'm Mark Magnaka. I'm a co-founder, actually, of. Uh, oh, sorry
0: didn't mean to didn't mean to <laughs> slight somebody else in the process here. That's
1: quite all right, uh, and I'm excited to be talking to you, really about some answers to the very questions you were just asking and some of the points you just made, specifically around the idea of what we believe is the fact that traditional sales training is broken.
0: And why? Right? Why is it broken? I
1: think there's a number, number of reasons why, but one of the reasons why is because to the point you just made, most sales reps don't remember and they don't absorb what they learn in a traditional instructor-led training. It's not to say there's no value in a traditional instructor-led training. And and in full disclosure, I want you to know for 15 years, that was my business. So I very much believe that it has the power to help change people's thinking and help them adopt a new mindset. But what I recognize is that most training that most of us go to just doesn't have a methodology or follow-up that makes it easy to really master what you've learned.
0: So being able to put into practice what you learn in the formal classroom setting—I mean, I'm asking this a question, but I know the answer. It's—it's it's just not present in most training.
1: It's really not, yeah. And I, I mean, I think the other part of this, Andy, is if you really think about it, uh, you can't blame the sales reps in, in in entirety because most sales reps, myself included, you know, we've all been to uh, a, a national sales meeting or a product training, for example, where you, you get. Uh, brought out to the headquarters of the company. Maybe you spend two weeks as a new hire. You're drinking from a fire hose. It's product person after product person talking to you about the history of the company and the products. And then what happens is if you think about it, if as a sales manager, as you ride with salespeople, you wonder, well, why is it from the moment they open their mouth, they start pitching product or talking about the company? And the reason why is if you think about it, it's been poured into their head. Over a period of a week or two weeks, so naturally, when they get in front of somebody, they're they're now just regurgitating, in many ways, a lot of what has been said. So we think there's a better way.
0: But well, it's interesting the way you phrase the the question sort of begs a different question, which is you know perhaps the issue is that a good portion of the problem with the training is that it's training the wrong things. So that you know, how often you go to a sales training course and they teach critical thinking skills they teach you know, how to synthesize information that you receive they teach yeah they give lip service to teaching questioning skills but you know it's done in such an abstract way that it's really hard to apply to even in role plays to the real situation they confront with customers so instead of you know selling or training hard sales skills or or product knowledge it seems like we missed the boat
1: Well, you know, it's interesting you say that, Andy, because what we hear again and again from the the sales leaders that I speak with on a daily basis is they say, you know, I I want my people to be fluent with some of our best presentations. I want them to be able to answer the key questions that come up over and over again. I want to know that they've thought about the top 10 objections and they're not winging it when they're in front of a prospect, in effect, practicing on game day.
0: Yeah, which is, which is an issue. But you know, if you go through the list of things that you sort of talked about, isn't that part of the problem, though? I mean, look at the way they framed, framed the issue, which is, you know, I want them to know the answers to the questions that are going to come up. Whereas, to me, it seems like one of the things we really fall down on, and especially increasingly so in today's sales environment where the customers you know have access to so much information on their own, is it's not the answers to the questions. What the customer needs are the questions, Yeah, well, that's a
1: great point. Uh, So, so,
0: so it seems like it seems like you know you're talking to sales leaders that are framing the issue incorrectly because you know they're still sort of stuck in a traditional way of looking at sales.
1: Well, you know, in in a a way, if you sort of step back from it all, what I've discovered is that like most things in life, there's this paradigm that exists, and and most people don't question it. We think about the fact that uh, new hire training is generally uh, some period of time, a week, two weeks. You, you fly someplace. Or, uh, in many cases now, it's webinar-based, but it's the same exact dynamic. It's a sales rep with their feet up on the desk, kind of uh, observing what's happening on the screen, but maybe even clicked onto another tab and not paying attention at all to the webinar that's going on. And so part of the problem is that there's really no visibility and no way to formally assess for traditional sales training whether or not it's stuck. So how do you know at the end of the training, regardless of whether the people say, hey, we thought this was a great training, how do you know what KPIs as you mentioned earlier to measure?
0: Okay, It's a fair question. So how, how do you? And is, is the question really measuring it that it's stuck at the end of the training or measuring that it's it's stuck and they've been able to integrate it into their performance you know, 30, 60, 90 days down the road?
1: Yeah, I think that's the big piece. I, I think the big piece is is a, about being able to apply it, right? And and you know we say at a Lego what what we believe is there's really two kinds of knowledge. We think there's skill-based knowledge, and we think there's on-demand knowledge. So, for example, a skill-based knowledge would be a, a golf swing, where most of us would agree you need practice, you need feedback, and you need coaching to be effective at swinging a golf club.
0: Because you can't yeah. you can't see yourself
1: in part because you can't see yourself, but even if you can see yourself and you have watched videos of other golfers, most of us require someone else to be able to help us improve. Uh, because to your point, you know, if you put the camera on a tripod and you're sort of filming your swing, you need someone who's got subject matter expertise to help you know you got to pull your elbow in a little bit or choke up on the club, etc. That's different from what we call on-demand knowledge. And on-demand knowledge is, is really what happens on YouTube all the time now. The third biggest, uh, third highest number of views on YouTube after music and, and movie based entertainment. And cats. Yeah. <laughs> well, cats, yeah, They're, they have a, a whole section on comedy. But uh, the reality is how to. I just saw one of the uh, vice presidents of Google at a presentation I was at. How to is now number three. And uh, let me ask you have you or anyone in your family been on YouTube to learn how to do something recently? Sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: What's one of the things, Andy, you've been on for?
0: Oh, gosh. I did how to, um, how to edit a podcast. There
1: you go. Now, who would think, right, that someone else has actually taken the time to upload that content to YouTube and make it easy for you to be able to get it, listen to it, and learn from it? But you see, this, this actually addresses one of the points you made right at the very beginning, Andy, and, and that is this. What level of interest did you have in watching a video about podcasting before you were in the podcasting business? Got none. So, so there's the rub. We do the same thing with salespeople, right? We cause them to start to do training around a product, for example, that they might not be selling for six months. And so you're missing what almost every educator will tell you is a critical element in the learning process, which is the internal motivation to want to know it. And that doesn't mean that salespeople don't want to learn. It just means that in, in most cases, they don't want to learn until they know they're in that period of time where they have to learn it.
0: Wow, but that's a key point. So let's, let's digress just a little bit and talk about that because it's inextricably bound up with, with the whole topic of sales training is that you know, the general culture of learning within sales seems to be pretty low. Right, I mean, I was talking to somebody just yesterday that was said they were speaking to a group of several hundred uh, sales professionals, and they asked to raise their hands: How many had read a sales book within the last thirty days? And there was just like a handful, two handfuls, out of hundreds of people. You know, how many within the last six months? I mean, and the answer was you know, increasingly depressing as he went on. And so, it's like, you know, How, how are we not encouraging? Salespeople understand that this investing in themselves in their own knowledge is such a critical aspect of their own success or probability of success.
1: So Andy, here's the thing. We're both authors. Uh, we both grew up, uh, like many people listening to this, reading books. Um, but i got to tell you, a shift has happened. And it's the same reason you didn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy a book on how to edit a podcast. You went to YouTube and used a different form factor which quite frankly is a form factor that for most human beings is a better way to learn because we're visually oriented, but in particular for salespeople whose personality type generally skews towards impatience and wanting to know the answer now, video is a more powerful medium to learn than book reading, in my experience of talking to thousands of salespeople all over the world.
0: But really the targets are different though, don't you think? So. Undoubtedly, you know, I would I would never have bought a book about how to edit a podcast because yeah, you know, it's a long form piece of content that, quite frankly, for a subject doesn't require a long form answer, right? So instead of buying a book and investing three hours in reading it, I watched a ten, literally a ten minute video. Mm-hmm. So similarly with sales, it seems like a lot of what happens sales training, product training, and certain hard sales skills training that it's really focused on the surf, you know, short how-to, but what seems to be missing is the surf foundation of what I'll call sales education, where people just invest some time to learn the foundational skills and knowledge, acquire the knowledge foundational knowledge, if you will, that you then build on top of with your, you know, your point solutions that are less say, shorter content how-to type things.
1: Well listen, I I want you to know philosophically, I'm in agreement. I, I will tell you that um, I, I burned out many Nightingale, Conant uh, cassette series uh, starting with Brian Tracy back in the 90s Sure. and, uh, and, and listened to you name it uh, and, and I've listened to them. And so I, I actually developed in my own experience a lot of that foundation from listening, from going to seminars, from doing all of the things that really t- a certain generation did. What I'm telling you is there is a dividing line now where the expectation, in particular for millennials, in, in ex- the experience I'm having with them uh, with a Lego is that the expectation is you can find everything that you want on video. And it turns out that the most valuable type of video in the work environment is video of your peers explaining how they do something. So if you go back to your example, this isn't necessarily addressing the core knowledge issue, but assuming you have some foundation as a salesperson, the ability to hear from one of your peers, mm-hmm. tell a story about here's how you position this product, here's how you address this objection, and, and someone that you trust and respect because you know they put the numbers up on the board and you've seen it, we find that that format of learning, it's just a different way of thinking. So there's, there's sort of traditional curriculum learning, which is the typical LMS model that we think is broken. And, and the reason we think it's broken is in most cases it's compulsory. It's the kind of stuff where you go to uh, a new company that you're working for and you have to watch almost compliance like or HR videos, you're forced to endure it to in effect check the box and has very low sales impact on your business. And then and then kind of the other side of that is a, a much bigger circle we call just in time and this just in time is the ability to get what you want when you want it. And it, if you think about it, most salespeople have used some form of just-in-time learning anyway. Even before video, they would use emails. They'd go back through their emails, saying, "You know, I remember that product guy sent me something on mm-hmm, that." Mm-hmm. You know, and you're digging through it. You call your buddy, "Hey, didn't you just talk to somebody about this?" But but you get motivated to do that around an opportunity. So if you think about you know a Salesforce.com opportunity as an example, once you have the opportunity formed, then you're starting to look for ways, kind of hub and spoke, to plug stuff in. Rather than just learning about something as in a product sense in isolation and then being expected to remember it three months or six months from now. But that doesn't take away your point that there is a need for sort of foundational sales training. And one of those elements is the ability to ask great questions, to be able to pause, and then to be able to listen to what the other person says.
0: Yeah, interesting question for you. Because we're going to. Take a short break in just a second. We'll come back and talk specifically about a Lego and the, and the platform that you develop. But um, I just wonder if you run across this this sort of conundrum that I see is that, and I experience it myself. It's not just me. It's, I see with kids and I see with millennials is that when I since I know, let's take the example. I know that this video of how to edit the podcast is out there, and you were talking about hey, you presented an opportunity. So I'm going to gather information from peers and and uh, you know our, our corporate library of, of videos and so on that's going to give me how to's to help with this specific move the specific opportunity along but then once that opportunity is gone do you then forget that information because you know it's available so you can come back to it you know it's like with me with podcast videos on YouTube you know I've gone back to it several times because I maybe mean, it's just the way I learned but you know I went through it once I got a certain point did certain things with it Needed to know something more, so I went back to it again at a later time. And is that you know potentially a danger that that uh, you know that there isn't this retention that that people are sort of learning for the moment and learning for that opportunity, and then when the opportunity is passed, they say, okay, I know it's available as a reference; I can always go back and get it.
1: So it's a great question, and uh, the answer is I don't have any scientific evidence, but I can give you some anecdotal personal information uh, related to that. Uh, <clears throat> I watched a. a video recently on YouTube of how to cut a pineapple. And I actually had never cut a pineapple. And I, I brought a pineapple home. And uh, my daughter wanted some pineapple. And I knew there was a way to cut it. Not that I couldn't have just hacked my way through it. But I figured, let me see what YouTube has to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I find the first video that comes up. And the guy says, don't cut the pineapple. He says, the first thing I want you to do is flip it upside down. And he says, take the stem off. Let it sit in the refrigerator for 10 minutes. And then watch the rest of this video. So I actually followed the instructions, turn it upside down. And uh, he shows me the way to cut it and to cube it, put the toothpicks in. And I serve the pineapple. And it, you know, my daughter says, this is awesome. And uh, I tasted it. And it was really a terrific pineapple. I had never thought about that little twist of just turning it 180 degrees. Now, what's interesting is I honestly can't remember all of the knife cuts. Like, I, I don't remember exactly what you do. But to your point, I don't cut a pineapple that often. And so, quite frankly, I don't feel the need to master that skill. And I don't mind that I can go to it on demand, but I think to you, to the point you're making here, Andy, that's why we believe there's really this, there's two kinds of knowledge: there's skill-based, and then there's on-demand. So there are certain things like learning to ask for a referral that requires practice, feedback, and coaching because it needs to be part of an ongoing process. And if you can't remember how to do it because you haven't practiced enough, gotten valid feedback from somebody that you trust. And been able to see your own progress or lack of progress so that you can keep calibrating until you get it. If you're not able to put that work in, I can tell you that video alone doesn't save the day. You still gotta do the work of practice and rehearsal, whether you're an athlete or whether you're an actor.
0: Okay, I agree. So, all right, we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about Alego and how you're addressing these challenges we've spoken about. Before we do, I'm going to pose a hypothetical scenario to you. I asked this question of all my guests um, and I'll get your answer after the break. So here's the scenario. You've been hired as a new sales manager at a company whose sales are really in need of dramatic turnaround and senior management is really anxious to have this happen in a hurry. So your first week on the job, what are the two things you would do that could have the biggest impact? So think about that and I'll be back with my guest Mark Magnaca right after the break. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Cell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps calendars. Visit ConnectAndSell.com to learn more about how Connect and Cell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. My guest today, Mark Magnaka, co-founder of Alego. I got co-founder there that time. Make sure I didn't slight Thank anybody. You. Yes. <laughs> you can check them out online at Allego. that's a L-L-E-G-O.com. So let's talk about the scenario I posed before the break. New manager, new sales manager, new sales leader coming into a company that sales have stalled out. you got to get going in a hurry. What are the two things you'd do in the first week that would have the biggest impact?
1: Well, I can tell you uh, two things that I would do is I would personally want to speak to either all of or at least an important sample of the top 20% and some from the... Of the, mid- the sales people. Yep, I'd have a series of questions that I wanted to ask them, and then I'd ask for interviews with some of the middle 60%. And my first question would be to try to understand, just in terms of sales process and in terms of work style, uh, are there any immediate things that jump out at me that's different between the top 20% and the middle 60% as someone coming in with fresh eyes? Mm -hmm. That's the first one. Now, uh, in the Given the fact that um, I'm a huge believer in what we do at Allegro, I would tell you that um, assuming they had our platform, or if they didn't, I would likely bring it in, and uh, I would have them download it onto their iPhones or their iPads, and I would very quickly tell the managers who were reporting in that here's the deal. What I want is some visibility into the way your team answers the question, what do we do here? And uh, it can be a 60-second answer. It can be a two-minute answer. Assuming someone says, you now work for XYZ Inc. And uh, they're at a social event and someone says, uh, so what do you do? I want to hear how they answer the question. Or,
0: or they run into a prospect at a trade show.
1: Or they run into a prospect at a trade show. Exactly. And, and the reason I would want to use video is because it would allow me to very quickly uh, regardless of where I was geographically and the rest of the team was geographically, capture what I need to know, and then be able to assess the the talent of the team to try to figure out in that scenario what should I be rank ordering as the first most important thing I need to do, given the data that I've just collected.
0: Got it. Oh, good answer. I like that. First time anybody's referenced a Lego in their answer. Excellent. So how about, <laughs> how about that? So uh, yeah, I've, you know, seventy interviews we've done so far. So um, let's talk about a Lego. So. What is it you're doing differently? I mean, you say you're mobile and video-based. I mean, are you basically, I sort of got the idea earlier that you're crowdsourcing content. Well, no,
1: actually, um, although there's
0: an element. I mean, of within crowd- a, within an organization.
1: Yeah, there's an element of crowdsourcing uh, within what we do. But basically, Andy, Allego is a sales learning platform. It's a mobile-based video sales learning platform. And, and first and foremost, it's a platform that's designed to help salespeople absorb information, absorb it in a form factor that works for them. We know for lots of different reasons, just in the same way television has dominated the world for the last 50 plus years, we know that visual images, along with sound, particularly the sound of the human voice, are very powerful in concert. And uh, there's a reason that most of us learned, starting with our parents and through other Uh, experiences in our life experientially. And being able to see it and and hear it and then practice it is a very powerful learning methodology. So you know we start with that as a premise. And just to to kind of back up for you and give you a little uh, background on on how this all happened. So my background is in the financial services business. I was a financial advisor. And um, at a certain point I sold my business and decided I wanted to help train other financial advisors around the country with some specific marketing approaches that I had to use to build my business, primarily doing seminars. And so what happened is I wrote a book and I started delivering this. And then I had other people who wanted to take this content. And what I discovered was just how hard it was to have, in effect, a sales team, even though they were mostly independent contractors, who were going to take this content that was mine and go out and replicate it with other people. So they would fly in, and quite frankly, I did everything that I said to you in the earlier part of the interview. I'd send them the script. I would send them the recording. They would fly into the training, and for two days, they would drink from a fire hose. Uh, we would get them to practice it and say it and hear their peers and, you know, for eight hours at a time. And I remember thinking, because I used video, but it was really hard after the program to actually share the video with anybody. This was kind of right at that that shift from DVDs uh, when the iPad first came out. I remember thinking when I saw the iPad that, wow, this could be a really cool way to capture video and quickly share it with people. But it didn't take long for me to discover that not so fast, because if you've recorded anything on your iPhone or your iPad, you know that a three-minute video is easily 300 megabytes. And then to try to share that video, it's too big to email it, so then you end up, uh, using either connecting it to your computer or using some service like a Dropbox or Box or something like that, and then you still had this enormous time lag of having to upload the video, and then the other person had to download the video to be able to do anything with it. And it just turned out to be very clunky. So what happened is I, I shared this idea that I had been testing with a couple of my clients, with my co-founder, whose name is Yu Chun Lee. Yuchun built a very successful software company called Unica. Uh, he had taken the company public in 2005 and, and later sold it to IBM in 2010. And I, I had always been uh, very impressed with the way he had run this business. And we had been friends for almost 15 years at that time uh, through a, a young entrepreneur's organization. So at any rate, I brought the idea to him and I said, you know, this is the technical problem that I'm having. And what he helped me realize is that, you know what? Um, rather than hiring someone else to build some software as a trainer, uh, maybe I was looking at this the wrong way. Maybe in fact this is really a software company. And that was a paradigm shift for me. Uh, fortunately, he knew something about building a software company. Uh, after his acquisition, um, we realized that th- this, this market, he said to me, you know, I think there's something here in terms of this market. I don't know for sure, but I'd be willing to incubate it and test it a little bit together. So I continued to run my training business and and, um, when he left his uh, period of time with IBM, we decided to put our heads together and uh, once he put the word out to a number of his former employees, uh, all of whom had worked with him at uh, Unica, when it was appropriate, they began to join us. And so we've got just an amazing team of technical minds, uh, literally nine MIT uh, developers Uh, plus him, and he's also an MIT, and then a number of other really brilliant minds. So what ended up happening is he, I didn't know this, Andy, but uh, his background and his master's thesis was actually in video compression algorithms. So he really knew from a technical standpoint um, a a lot about how to move video very quickly. And uh, we now have five patents pending on this technology. And that's kind of at the heart of it. And what we've realized is the ability to quickly record content on a mobile device, to be able to share that content in a secure way with your team, with your manager, with your peers. Uh, and then, most importantly, to be able to direct this with some kind of what we call a formalized blueprint. So you're not just turning the video, turning the surf- software on and saying, go ahead and record videos, but rather there's some very specific use cases that we orient around such as uh, new hire onboarding mm-hmm. as an example right or rolling out a new best you know new product or even a, a national sales meeting that's coming up orienting around things that you need to do anyway and finding a way to use video to shorten the learning curve or shorten the time it takes to get it done
0: or I would think with video and mobiles provide a reinforcement platform that's
1: for sure yeah. and then, you know so particularly in that what what we find in is there's kind of two groups there's your your top performers where we're we're using video to capture lightning in a bottle right we're capturing it on video uh, and a number of our industries are highly regulated industries like financial services or medical devices and so in in those cases the way you say it really matters not just from a tonality standpoint but from a regulatory. A
0: technical... yeah a regulatory exactly. right so well so a question I have is is just to sort of get back on track a little bit is that how does somebody when this platform when somebody buys and invests in a Lego, there's no content in it. It's a platform, right? So so how does the content, you know, if you're a, a customer of a Lego, you're responsible for developing your own content that goes on the platform?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, you know, you can think of it in many ways, Andy, like iTunes in this regard. We're we're a SaaS-based offering, software as a service, much like Salesforce.com. Uh, so if you think about iTunes, you know when you first open up iTunes, there's nothing in it. You either have to buy music or you have to import in your own music and, and to begin to fill this library and then to create playlists that you can curate and organize in a way that makes sense to you. And, and in the same way, um, what you said is accurate in that most companies do have some video-based content that they will pull in, but the content, quite frankly, that's most valuable is the content of top performers, who are talking about specific things that you want to know about. And so what we, what we typically do is in the pilot phase, we, we're developing uh, what we call a, a coalition of the willing. And that's where we're, we're working with our customers to figure out what use case is most important to them. And then we're helping to populate the system with content that's entirely relevant because it's your peers talking about product number one, number two, number three, and then go to market strategy as an example of how they address it. So what happens in very short order, you start to build up some really useful content on a number of different topics so that when you go from pilot into production, now there's good stuff in the system. Just like YouTube would have no value if it was just a platform but there was no good videos or no good how-tos or music that you wanted to watch.
0: Or cat videos, right? So, okay. Or cat videos, right? So so, when you talk about peers, are you talking about peers? That's why I, I used the crowdsourcing uh, term before. I mean, it's, it's your peers within the company, right? You're going to take, as you start a pilot program with a company on a, a Lego, is you know, one of the things you want to do is get the top performers that are addressing the specific you know, n- objectives that you're trying to address with, with the training and use them as uh, subject matter experts.
1: That's right. That, that's exactly right. So, I mean, there's a couple of, couple of different ways the software gets used. Once you have it, Uh, If you're a manager, you've got the ability to watch a video that one of your people has recorded and be able to provide what we call point-in-time feedback on that video privately, just between you and your salesperson. That's uh, one example of a use case. You might then find one of those videos that you've been doing coaching on. You say, wow, this is a really good one. Now, I want to share this with a broader distribution list just like an email distribution list for your district or your division. And now you're able to share that example of what good looks like with a broader range of people. And, you know, a big part of this, Andy, what we're hearing more and more is this idea of sales shifting from an individual sport to a team sport. And, and so, in that regard, we even have uh, customers who are now um, adjusting the compensation model to help recognize people who are willing to put something up. So instead of hoarding it, like very often happened in the past, if I've got a great idea that can help other people, instead of coming from a place of scarcity and thinking, well, I can't share that because someone else could use it better than me, it's shifting the mindset to a more team-oriented thinking and say, look, it's sort of like the, the, the penny jar at the store. You put a penny in, you can take a penny out. Building this environment that if you're willing to put something in, you can take something out. And so the capacity to use software in this particular case, to both be able to do coaching and to be able to share best practices is uh, it's a very powerful combination.
0: Excellent. Well good. Well it sounds very interesting. So um, we'll give you a chance here right at the end to tell people how they can learn more about it. But before we do we got a last segment of the show is I ask you some rapid fire questions and you can give me one word answers or you can elaborate if you wish. Are you ready? Right. Let's do it. So what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? LinkedIn. Okay. Why?
1: Because it helps me quickly understand uh, a few key pieces of information about the people that I'm interacting with, particularly if I'm meeting them for the first time, and saves a huge amount of time versus what I used to have to do in the pre-internet era.
0: Okay. So, name one tool you use for sales management that you can't live without. Salesforce.com. Who's your sales role model?
1: Hmm, that's a great question. Uh, my sales role model is actually a guy um, who was a mentor of mine by the name of Jeff Goldberg. Jeff was the uh, vice president of field sales at EMC Corporation in mm-hmm. Hockington, Mass., a big storage company. Yep. Um, and he was actually the one that inspired me to write my book, So What? And uh, Jeff totally transformed my way of thinking about the sales process and about what really matters to people. And what your job is as a salesperson?
0: Great. What's the one book that every salesperson should read?
1: Besides, so what? They should read "Think and Grow Rich" by Napoleon, Napoleon
0: Hill. Hill. Okay, that's number one on the list. Yes, it is. So, it's a little
1: a little dated, but uh, the bottom line is, if you open your mind and read through it, the principles inside that book have changed more people's lives. If you get it. Than just about any other self development book, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. So, um, here's a tough question. So, what's your favorite music to listen to to sort of get you pumped up for a meeting or a sales call? You too. Any particular song? City of Blinding Lights. Okay, good answer. What's the first sales activity you do every day? Believe it or not, the
1: first sales activity I do is uh, is open my notebook and uh, review my list that I purposefully handwrite and don't use as a uh, computer based program to help organize my day.
0: All right, there's something intriguing in there, so I just can't resist. So, why handwritten?
1: Well, it's not that I don't use uh, calendaring software and that, you know, that, that I. I don't believe in the power of, of uh, using technology to make appointments on the calendar. What I don't like is uh, c- computer-based or even uh, mobile-based to-do list managers because I find I put stuff in them and I just don't look at them again. And uh, the model that I learned a long time ago with you know Franklin Covey, sort of the writing it down, I don't use their system anymore, but I still use a notebook. And what I find is I, I know how to chunk up enough information that I, I can cover in a week And I like the process at the end of the week of transferring stuff that I didn't finish from last week into next week so that A, nothing slips through the cracks. And B, I I get annoyed if I keep carrying things forward that way. And that forces me to either do it or take it off the
0: list. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I like that idea. All right, last question. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople?
1: The one question that I get asked most frequently. by salespeople? Hmm. Let me think about that. I get asked a lot of questions. Um, I'm thinking of a good answer for you right now, Andy, but uh, <laughs> that's a very good question. Uh, you're, you're causing me to go into uh, parts of my brain that I haven't been in in a while.
0: So we'll start the uh, Jeopardy clock so you hear the countdown. Like, yeah, like Final Jeopardy.
1: That sounds good. I mean, I can tell you in the context of a Lego, I, I'm just going to shift it to sure. that context for a minute. In the context of a Lego, um, the question I, I hear is Is doing something on video uh, a substitute for doing it in real life? And a lot of times people will ask if, if you're doing a role play, is it the same as, uh, as doing it in real life? And uh, the answer is no, it's not the same. But there's a reason that uh, great quarterbacks practice. Three or four days a week, and they only play on Sunday or Monday, whatever the case might be on their game day. And in the same way, I believe that the shift that's coming as more and more B2B buyers or consumers, for that matter, do their homework online before they ever interact with a salesperson, salespeople have to be ready to play their A game. And the only way you can play your A game is if you're willing to practice. And one of the best ways to practice is to use the power of role play. And get some pr- feedback and coaching from somebody you trust, whose opinion matters to you. So I can tell you that uh, it, it is a question that comes up a lot, which is, you know, if I do this, is it going to make any difference? And the answer is, it's going to make the same difference that it, it does for professional athletes, which is why every professional athlete practices before they play the game.
0: Great, good answer. Okay, well, good. Well, thank you for joining me, and my guest today, Mark Magnaka. Co founder of Alego. My co founder,
1: appreciate that.
0: Yeah, that's right. I just <laughs> wanted to, want to reinforce that since I missed it the first time. So, Mark, tell folks how they can find out more about you.
1: Yeah, well, actually, uh, take a look at alego.com, A L L E G O.com. And uh, we've got a bunch of uh, resources on that website, um, some great case studies, some great testimonials. And, you know, quite frankly, we use video pretty extensively ourselves. So I would encourage you to, to have a look at it. And if uh, if you're in a company that uses mobile technology, that has a distributed sales force, and it's important for you to be able to share your best ideas faster among your team, or to deliver a more consistent message a- across the team, then uh, you should take a look at Alego and uh, contact us if you'd like a demo.
0: Alright, great. So thanks, and remember everybody who's listening, Make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Subscribing to this podcast is an easy way to do that. Then you'll make sure that you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Mark Magnaca, who share their experience and expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show.